Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Some of us are reading through the Bible in a year using an, an online version of the Bible. By the way, Doug, I want to thank you for your song. I don't know if you all know why he's not in here except two Sundays in a row every once in a blue moon. And it's because he's preaching out at sister churches on those other Sundays. So we, we want to praise God for you, Doug, and for being faithful to do what you sang about. Uh, we have uh, a nice crew of lay preachers here in our church uh, serving here and also outside. Um, and this season of Lent is not too far away, if you can believe it, just a couple weeks away. And our lay preachers are going to be leading us in a preaching series on the, some of the parables the Lord gave. So stay tuned for more details on that. Uh, did you recognize the song, the content of the song that we just sang uh, about wrestling with God all night? Uh, if you've been reading through the Bible plan, this last week or so, we read past in Genesis the account when Jacob wrestles with a man all night, just before he's about to meet his brother. Now, he's been estranged from his brother for 20-some years, and he's afraid because when he left his brother, his brother Esau had threatened to kill him. And so he's about to meet up with his brother after this 20 years of absence, and he's really terrified that his brother still holds a grudge against him. And he has a big family by then with lots of kids, and, and he separates them apart in order to try to protect and save some if Esau goes crazy on him. And the night before he meets his brother, he goes off by himself. And it says he met a man there and he wrestled with him all night. And in the morning, when it was, the man said, let me go, he touched his socket, Jacob's socket, and put it out of joint so he couldn't keep wrestling. And Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me and tell me your name. And the man said, okay, I will bless you, uh, but I'm not going to tell you my name. And he changed Jacob's name that day to Israel, gave him a new name, a new identity. And Israel means wrestles with God and overcomes. Uh, and Jacob realized he had been wrestling with God in human form. I imagine that that was one of the things that Jesus did in his pre-incarnate existence. You know, he shows up several times in the Old Testament to do some mighty work of God. And I think it was probably the Son of God who was wrestling with Jacob that night. I also think sometimes of it as a metaphor, a metaphor for Jacob wrestling in prayer with God. You know, things in the Old Testament are often very starkly done in physical form. Circumcision, stark physical biological thing. In the New Covenant, it's really supposed to be a spiritual reality. Our hearts are supposed to be circumcised. And Jacob wrestling physically with the Son of God in the Old Testament. It has its parallel in the New Testament. Charles Wesley wrote that hymn 
because he had his nights of wrestling with God, trying to come to terms with, did God love him? And on what basis? Now, Wesley tried so hard, the, 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 the songwriter, Charles, to please God by being righteous and, and doing good and failing and being uh, so anxious and so high-strung, so perfectionistic, trying to please God and realizing he was always falling short. And he had that, like his brother, eye-opening experience where he realized he was saved by grace. Your name really is love, God. And I can't get there on my own. My works are not working here. Paul, here in Ephesians 2, saying, nope, it's by grace you're saved through faith, and that's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So coming to the end of his own works, even as he's wrestling with God, maybe spending not just a night, but nights and nights and hours and hours seeking God in prayer. So that physical picture in the Old Testament of Jacob wrestling with God, spiritual reality of all wrestling with God in prayer to get to God. And here's the great thing. God came to Jacob to wrestle with him. God let Jacob hold on to him. You know, as God, he could have thrown him off. He could have gone, right? <laughs> but he let Jacob hold on to him. You know, that was the night where Jacob transferred his trust from himself. And if you look at Jacob's life, his whole life before this, he's scrapping and conniving and deceiving to get himself up on top of life. And this is the night before he meets his brother Esau when he can't get away with that anymore. He can't save himself and he can't save his family. He's got to turn and depend on God to get out of this. And that's when he wrestles with God all night. Now, I want to talk to you today about Ephesians 2, which is about a transition from trusting in ourselves, coming to terms with our own sinfulness, realizing that we need a Savior, and turning by faith to Him, wrestling with Him, not letting Him go until we understand, I've been made new. Because I'm in you, and you're in me. And we have a Savior who's proved his love for us by taking our place in sin and death. Listen to Ephesians 2. And if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn and look at it. This is a super important passage, very much like a summary of the gospel. Ephesians 2, chapter 1. The first three verses here summarize our lost state and our doom, actually, apart from Christ. And the next six verses summarize our salvation by grace. And the last verse is a result clause, so we'll get there. The salvation that leads to new being and a new way of life. So let's more, look more closely. Just by way of intro here, recall from last week's study in Ephesians 1 that Paul opens his letter to the church by describing that this is a salvation both Jews and Gentiles share. An inheritance as children of God because of mutual faith in Jesus. And Ephesians 2 now focuses 1 to 3, these first three verses of this section, on our lost state. 
apart from Christ. And he starts by addressing the members of the church, reminding them where they came from. And here it is, listen. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now see, this is the state of humanity before we come to Christ. Now, Isaiah 53, that great prophecy that Tom read the first part of there about the suffering sacrifice of Messiah to save us, verse 6 puts it like this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. Isaiah 64, 6 is even more graphic. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. Now, this state, it's really the reality that Jesus is talking about in John 8 when he taught the Jews who believed in him. Uh, I want you to turn, keep your thumb there at Ephesians chapter 2 and turn with me to John 8. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Another translation puts it like this. If you keep my word, you're really my disciples. If you hold to my word, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What surprised the Jews who were listening here was to be told they were slaves. All right? They were thinking of economic or political slavery, like when their ancestors were in Egypt. But as he so often does, Jesus meant something spiritual. They were slaves to sin. To the Jew, uh, they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So he transitions right there from their slavery to sin to the source of their salvation, the Son. Who's he talking about? Himself, exactly. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham's our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you're determined to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the things your own father does. We're not illegitimate children. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. You know, here, here's his audience stuck on an earthly understanding, and indeed on an earthly identity as biological descendants of Abraham. 
Because they were descendants of Abraham, they thought that automatically made God their father. But once again, Jesus is talking about a spiritual reality. Here he says it in, in John 8, 42-47. The spiritual reality of what their spirit, who their spirit says they really belong to because of the stuff that's coming out of them. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. Well, you know that went down well. Right? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Now, here, here he is. One's saying one's spiritual fatherhood is known by one's deeds. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you don't belong to God. In this case, they can't understand Jesus because they are because God is not their father. They're unable to hear him because they are children of the devil. They're revealed to be children of the devil because they do the devil's works. They want to kill Jesus. The devil was the original murderer, the inspiration to Adam and Eve to rebel, the inspiration to Cain to kill his brother. And they don't want to hear the truth Jesus is telling them. They prefer a lie. Remember, the devil was the original liar. The first temptation in the garden full of lies. Now all this sets the listener up here, the discerning listener, to understand that his slavery to sin is a problem. A terrible spiritual problem. And he needs help if he's going to get out of the doom of sin and the devil. Now we can take it. I'll just remind you that by the end of this passage, when Jesus uh, continues to teach about Abraham, and he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said. The Jews said to him, And you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. And at this, okay, now here he is. He's declaring to them, I'm the Son of God. I knew Abraham before he was born. I'm the great I am that spoke through the bush to Moses. Right? That's what he's saying in this passage. And what's their response to him? Well, this is the best thing since paved roads. Here you are, bringing the way to the kingdom. That's not what they said. It says they picked up stones to kill him. Okay? So now you see whose father who they really belong to, that they really are children of the devil, that their sins are controlling them, so much so that they can't receive the true word from the true God 
They think he's their enemy. And they love a lie instead of the truth. And they want to kill God himself when he's in the flesh among them. Now, we shouldn't think that that is just the unique problem of those handful of unbelieving Jews who resisted Jesus back in, in, in that time. In fact, it, it, the, if you notice, the introduction to that passage starts like this, to the Jews who had believed him. So this is a, a group of people that is seeing his works and thinking this could really be the Messiah, but they don't understand yet who Messiah is, and they don't understand their spiritual problem of sin and alienation from God. They're still thinking, I'm going to get saved because my parents went to church, because I've been basically a good person, because I know the law and I keep most of it. And so it's by their own works they're thinking they're going to be saved, that you please God according to the works you do. And the works that really come out of their secret heart show their hearts have not been circumcised, that they're actually slaves to sin, that they're full of hatred and lies. And that's why Jesus said to them, if you hold to my word, you'll know the truth and it'll set you free. You'll get free of all that. Back to Ephesians 2. As for you, now he's talking to the church. This church probably largely made up of Gentiles, but with a Jewish contingent. And he's addressing all of them. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. So the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air is, of course, who? That's right, he's the devil. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Paul is teaching the same thing Jesus taught. And he continues, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of every good thing. I deserve it, all the goodness coming to me. Is that what it says? No. <laughs> like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You know, in verses 1 and 2, Paul is addressing the people of the church, mostly Gentiles. Now in verse 3, he makes it clear sin is a universal problem with both Gentiles and Jews of himself. We, he's including himself in that we. Of all humanity. All of us are by nature, our natural biological self, born into this world, born conceived in sin, are by nature objects of wrath. Slaves of sin, children of the devil, living mainly to gratify our sinful nature and living in disobedience to God. And what's the evidence of it? The patrimony that's really ours is what we do. What we do in secret. What we do in rebellion. What we do that we're ashamed of. What we do that defies our parents. What we do that defies common sense. What we do that hurts ourselves. And we do it just to say, bleh, bleh, to whoever we're angry at. Right? You know, I get this is a really hard truth for many people to swallow. You can see why the Jews in John 8 were resistant. They did not want to hear that their works were not good enough. They did not want to come to terms with the sinfulness of their own hearts. Now, 
I can remember in, in, in my uh, days of rebellion being in the same place, thinking I'm basically a good person. I, I wasn't really. I had plenty of sin in my heart. But I like to think I was. right? And uh, I, I know what the Bible says, and I keep most of those commandments. right? You know, I'm not out there killing left and right all the time, so at least I got that one. <laughs> but, uh, oh, well, there were a first few people I hated, and if you read what Jesus said, hatred is just like murder. You know, so, and I remember talking to a friend once who, you know, he was saying, well, I know myself, and I know I'm not a good person, and uh, I'd be in trouble if it was up to me to try to get to heaven on my own. And his words haunted me, you know? I liked lies at the time. It was nice to deceive myself. But it was good to hear the truth from somebody else who was willing to be humble and admit what their own heart was really like. And Paul in Ephesians 2 is really saying that is what the heart of all of us is like. We are all dead in our transgressions and sins following the ways of the ruler of the air. And that's at work in the disobedient, living to gratify the sinful nature and doomed. Objects of wrath. That's our spiritual state. That's the spiritual state of all humankind. There's no exceptions. Nobody is born into this world without sin, except the Son of God incarnate, who was without sin. Not his mother Mary either. If you've heard that doctrine of the Immaculate Conception that was made up by a pope about 150 years ago, there's no scriptural warrant for the idea that Mary was conceived without sin. She was human just like all the rest of us. She had a human father and mother and conceived in sin like the rest of us. But Jesus only had a father in heaven. A human mother, but a father in heaven. And was born without sin. Though he took on our flesh. Now, I'm, I'm getting back to Christmas. So we're mo we've moved past Christmas. Let's... But my point here is that this slavery to sin is our universal problem. And it, and it means that we can't save ourselves. We're by nature objects of wrath. The whole world is doomed to destruction. We're in trouble. Now, I remember as a young man reading, and I, I've told this anecdote before, but it occurs to me to just share it with you again. Robinson Crusoe. Now, if you read the abridged version or you see it in the movies, this part is really usually skipped over. But it's the heart of the story, actually, if you read the original Daniel Defoe's uh, book. As Robinson Crusoe is shipwrecked, and he lands on this deserted island, and everybody in, in the crew either abandoned ship and got away or they drowned. And, and the implication is they all drowned. And the ship is wrecked on the reef outside of the island. And there he is, rescuing stuff from the, the ship as it, before it's totally breaking up, broken up by the reef, taking the stuff to the land. And he's hard-hearted, totally self-absorbed, selfish as the uh, day is long, and he's trying to survive. And he finds in the wreckage of the boat a Bible. And if I recall correctly, he brings the Bible to shore, and that's great to light a fire with. So he starts tearing pages out to, to light the fire and help get things going. 
And, you know, he starts to build his little retreat there. But in the course of time, he starts to read what's written there, the Word of God. And it starts to penetrate his heart. And it starts to show him all the blessings he's received, even that he would survive. Why did he survive? And he begins to be convicted of his sin. This grace of God that's preserving him and calling him to follow him. And he comes to repentance. And he becomes a different person. Like literally a different person from what he started when it was just about him and his own way of life, the sinful nature. That as he got into the Word of God and the Word of God got into him, he understood his sinfulness and his need for the Savior. And he gave himself to trust God. And he becomes a new man. And it's in that place that he eventually meets his helper Friday and together they are eventually rescued. So it's worth reading the story in part because it's an account of every man's lostness, every man and woman's situation of being stranded and doomed for death because of the sins of our hearts. But having been thrown a rescue line, and that prepares us now for where Paul's going with this. Jesus says, and I'll just say this, this spirit of entitlement today, so common, which says I deserve every good thing because I'm king or queen of the world, because others have treated me badly. In our sin, what we truly and justly are entitled to as fallen, corrupt, and selfish creatures, slaves to sin and living in disobedience to our Creator, it really is wrath. Right? As Jesus said in John 8, slaves have no permanent place in the eternal household. Unless the Son sets us free, we are in serious trouble. Now, all this bad news reminds us why we needed a Savior in the first place. You know, the Jews at the time they heard Jesus, they did not understand yet the Messiah's mission. In fact, they didn't understand their own hearts. It takes the mercy of God to be able to look at your own heart and say, I am corrupt. I am a sinner. I need to be forgiven. I've got a wreck inside of me. My heart is uncircumcised and hard and rotten. It's like filthy rags, my efforts at righteousness. And I need something new in me. I need a, a new life that I haven't got in and of myself. Woe is me. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Save me, God. It takes a mercy of God to be able to see that about yourself. Not to look at other people and say, gosh, I'm so good and they're so rotten. <laughs> Not to lay the blame for our wickedness on somebody else's feet. Well, you gave me that woman, Lord. <laughs> but to own it up and look in the mirror and say, you are in trouble, buddy. Because I know your heart. You can't even see your own heart unless you let God look at it with you. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else, the prophet Jeremiah says. Who can understand it? But I, the Lord, search the heart and the mind. Now, So 
the Jews didn't understand what Jesus was saying, showing the devil that they were. But by the time he finished his work on the cross and defeated the devil, his permanent hold over the human race, paying for the sin that says we belong to him, that is the devil, paying for it so we could belong to somebody else, there's a new work of the Spirit made possible. And many of these same Jews who were ready to stone him were the same ones who threw down the rocks the day that Peter preached and were convicted and cut to the heart and said, we've killed the Messiah. What are we going to do to be saved? And, and Peter just says, repent and believe and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins so that you can receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's where Paul goes next in Ephesians chapter 2. And that's Paul's intent here, preparing them to remember the good news. This church, you believed. You came out of sin. You came out of being in the state that every one of us is in. All of us lost. All of us slaves to sin. There's no exception. You put your faith in Jesus. God's grace is at work in you, and you've become different. That's Paul's intent, preparing them to remember the good news we can flee from the wrath to come in Jesus Christ. Verse 4 to 5. Because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. The grace that Charles Wesley sings about in that hymn, that not because I'm good, but because I won't let go of you until I experience that grace. I'm not letting go of you because I'm a better person than you. I'm rotten. But I won't let go of you because I want to be forgiven. And I want to know that you love me. God's great love for us, who rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. Now, I, I know what that experience is, just as Paul did. To as a sinner come and start following Jesus and start to see my own heart and start to understand I don't have to lie about it anymore. I don't have to pretend I'm better than I am. I can admit that I am a, a creature, a slave of sin. And I need somebody to set me free. And Jesus, I want you to do that. And following him, his word working in me, telling me the truth, setting me free in the truth, because Jesus is the truth. Making me a new person, a different person than I was before. That's what happens to those who put their faith in Jesus. He makes them a new creature. The old things get passed away and everything gets to be made new. A process of holiness to be remade into the image of God. Verse 8 and 9, repeat it with the results sandwiched in between. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Grace is undeserved favor. A mercy given to us just because of faith in Jesus. A grace and faith that's a gift of God, not a result of our works. We didn't earn it, but we can choose to receive God's grace. We can choose to receive Christ. And the result of that grace is described in verses 6 and 7. 
God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See our status? God raised us up with Christ and seated with us with Him in the heavenly realm. When you're in Jesus, you're not just sitting on the earth anymore. You're next to God the Father. That's why you can pray and God the Father is right there to listen to you We're in Jesus. when you're in Jesus. You're not like, oh, God, you're probably about 15 billion years away and I'm hoping that this prayer reaches you in 15 billion years. No, if you know Jesus, you know your Father is right there. And it's because you're right there with Him. Seated in the heavenly realm. And that's just a, like a little bit of down payment. Because this kindness is going to be revealed in the coming ages forever and ever in us who believe. God's kindness to us in Christ. Now where does this take us? This salvation. We're God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. To do God's work instead of the devil's evil. To trust and believe God instead of doubting and rejecting Him. To live righteously instead of unjustly. To do works of mercy God prepared in advance for us to do. That's what the Spirit of God does in us because of the new nature He's given us and the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us to help us do it. So out of Him, we can go out and do the things God's prepared for us to do, whether it's to run a, a crazy kid's show in the park, or to sing for His glory in a new setting, or to share with a neighbor who's in trouble uh, a meal, uh, an anonymous gift card, uh, a word about the gospel, to be able to hold to God's ideal for us, not because by good works we're trying to please and, and make God happy with them, but because we want to please God. Because He's given us a new nature that doesn't want to rebel against Him anymore. It doesn't want to displease Him and doubt Him and thumb our nose at Him. A new nature that wants to please Him and trust Him and bow before Him. To bend the knee before him. So, in conclusion, are you in Christ? Have you come to terms with your need for the Savior? Do you know your own heart? Have you admitted it to God what you're really like inside, apart from Him? Have you been able to look in the mirror and say, I can't even know myself unless by your grace, God, you help me. And I can't give myself a new heart, but I trust that you can. And I want it. Jesus, I can't set myself free from the sins I'm a slave to. But you can set me free. And you proved it by dying in my place and rising from the dead. And if you did that for me, then of course I'm going to be able to conquer too in you. Have you trusted Christ? Have you admitted your need for the Savior? 
Have you confessed and repented and asked His forgiveness? Have you put your trust in Him and said, Save me, Lord. I want to know you and walk with you. I want you to know me. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to wrestle with you until you bless me and give me a new name, a new identity. Child of God instead of child of the devil. I'm sick of being like the devil. I'm done. Get me out of there. Amen? Well, okay, I don't know what else to say. Should I just quit? <laughs> there's, of course, there's Ephesians 2.11 coming next week. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher this podcast, and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.